had the most hardship or most backlash from Latinx Gen Xers who are who who are very interested in my personal growth at the company of the Walt Disney Company. And they've been my biggest naysayers. And I'm going to talk about my parents. I think my parents have also made it really hard for me to be authentically myself. I think there's such a fear of being othered or making your life harder in some way by being authentically myself, which in my case includes being gay. They love my energy. <laughs> they love my my true, you know, I'm can-do attitude, very positive type of person gets things done. But but there's something about my intersectionality which makes them afraid and has made it very hard for them to accept that aspect. Dímelo, mi gente. What's up? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Duetas podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know our mission at Plural is to redefine professionalism. And on this podcast, we invite a new guest every week to explore the conflict that many of us face between professionalism and authenticity. Now, the podcast has been growing like crazy to the point where based on the last few episodes that we've released, we're in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. That's because of your support and stories like we're going to share today. The clip that you just heard in this week's intro is with a very special guest, Ariana Vergara Johnson. This episode is actually being released on a very important day. Today, many employees participated in an organized and unified full day walkout to speak out about Disney's lack of action against the Don't Say Gay Bill. However you're learning about hashtag Disney Do Better, I want you to remember that this movement, the walkout, this unified effort to drive change within an organization and frankly the world was started by employees. In fact, if you really think about all of these movements, even civil rights, it typically starts out with a small group of people and eventually it starts growing to the point where things like hashtag Disney do better are being covered by quote unquote mainstream media. There were even articles about it in variety. So I often think about in these situations, who started this? How did it grow to where it is now? Well, it all started with a letter that Ariana and her friends slash coworkers wrote to Disney leadership. In a LinkedIn post, she said, rarely do you get to be brave these days, but I have been fortunate enough to be brave in so many aspects of my life by simply being me, brown, out, and proud. I am in awe of what my colleagues, parentheses, friends, and I have made and continue to fight for at Disney with this petition. What's most interesting about this letter and the attention that it's received is that on another LinkedIn post, she said, it is amazing to know that the Disney letter may be one of the proudest moments of my career. Do better, be better, say gay. I think you get a vibe of who Ariana is. You can get a full description of her bio in the show notes, as well as links to all the posts that I'm referencing. Now that you know a little bit more about what's happening, let's get into the episode. All right, so we are recording. Um, I am so excited to chat with you for a few different reasons. But one, I think this particular story aligns perfectly to what my end goal is with Plural and this podcast. And people often ask me, like, what do I want to do with this, right? And I always say that I want to impact policy. 
the art, the experiences, the apparel, the stories that we share, ultimately, I want to raise enough awareness so that there's actual policy, whether it's at a federal level or at like one organization to yeah. be like these experiences and these stories helped impact a policy that was implemented that can now make people feel safe within that organization. And we're definitely going to get into the work that you do, but I just wanted to share with you why this particular episode was so important to me. Oh, well, thank you. I, you know what, I, that's how I feel. I think stories can change lives. I think we've seen that so much recently on all the different DEI content slash since Black Lives Matter, all of these new stories coming out, queer, Black, Latinx, AAPI. I believe in that too, which is why I listen to your podcast and why I'm with you today. Because that's why I picked you. So I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and let's start off where we always start off. And we'll get into everything that's happening these days. But when you think about the word authenticity, it's such a buzzword, especially with all the work that's happening. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? That means me being me in every single room that I enter, regardless of the size regardless of the amount of, you know, pale or non-pale faces, whether or not there are pronouns being used, that I am authentically myself and keep my, my morality and whatever that means to, to be able to sleep at night. I'll say that. Gosh, I make it a point, you know, to say I'm Latina. I make it a point to put the A in the pronouns. And I, you know, I introduce myself as gay in every room that I enter because, you know, we're still part of that movement. We're still making it comfortable for everyone to be who they are. And we've become, we've come many, many strides in that direction. Um, but it's incredible the amount of DMs or pings or slacks that I get after going into a meeting or being on a panel or being at a conference. And um, people tell me that they're more comfortable with being who they are. Things yeah. like that. So that's being authentically myself. Isn't it, that it, crazy? It, like yeah. It, yeah. it literally gives people permission to be themselves if they, if they see someone else doing it. Yeah, it's incredible, right? You don't really think about it when you're doing it. Um, you just think that you're being yourself. But then, you know, <laughs> you get out of that meeting, you go to your Slack or DM, whatever it is. And it gives me more courage to be who I am. Tell me about the time when you didn't have that courage to be yourself, though. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, are you kidding? I'm a geriatric millennial. I think that a lot geri- of- That is a new term that's happening. <laughs> yeah. Geriatric millennial. I am 35. Um, like as of a day ago, two days ago. Oh, um, thank you. Pisces season. You know, I didn't come out until I was 22. I think a lot of that, and I'm not saying that, look, you can come out when you're 42. I'm still proud of you. I, I'm just saying there's some people, especially Gen Z who have the luxury to- be queer or, you know, or not be, to be who they wanted. And I definitely did not grow up, grow up with that. I think I knew I was attracted to women and only attracted to women. I'm a gold star since I was a teenager, but I could not authentically be myself because at that time being gay was still weird. I come from a Catholic background. You know, my parents are Peruvian. They still have trouble with me being gay. Um, I could definitely not be nearly as out and proud as I was and until life experience of my 20s. And, you know, pride, pride becoming what it has become, which is frankly just a beautiful array of people, you know. Um, but in the past, it was still very small. You know, there it was still very kind of quiet. And 
not nearly as out as it is, you know, like people talk about this all the time, but like, you know, there's corporate core bank now at Pride. There's like Wells Fargo at Pride. That was not what it was about when I was younger. It was very much about, you know, that lesbian bar that got, that got a, you know, like a little bunch of t-shirts with, you know, a lesbian softball team. It has changed. Um, so yeah, I was definitely in the closet um, and kind of would ask myself, are you gay every night from 18 to 22? And I only, I mean, I'm, I'm a super proud Latina, but there was a time where, you know, I didn't even know I was pretending to pass um, as white. Um, I think in college, you know, when you're trying to fit in with everyone, especially freshman year, and you're trying to find your people. And I went to Northwestern, which, you know, is kind of pale in some, some respects. And, you know, I, I didn't, I, I didn't get there and find my people. I didn't get there and find artsy, you know, I finally found the black and Latino dorms and I finally joined them. But when I first got there, I definitely just tried to fit in. I definitely tried to fit in with what I thought like a liberal arts college should be. And then suddenly, you know, started playing Shakira like super loud once they found my confidence and once they found my people and like, you know, didn't join a sorority and felt okay with that. Like, I definitely tried to fit in, I think for a solid quarter. Um, and not kind of rock the boat and, you know, pretended like I like things that I didn't or like was aware of a certain celebrity that I didn't know. Um, yeah, which yeah, at the yeah. time was like, you know, I'm gonna say like, God, what was it? I wasn't really into John Mayer and I pretended like I was into John Mayer. Like I wasn't <laughs> into the Dave Matthews band and I pretended like I was into the Dave Matthews band, like subtle yeah. things like that, as opposed to like what I was listening to was Shakira and like, you know, God, a lot of other Latinx artists that none of my friends knew about. I'll say that because I'll take, like, where I'll, take it, I'll take it a step further. I think a lot of us, like in order to even say that you're into John Mayer, for example, the potential question may come back to you is like, oh my God, yeah, oh my God, you too, like give me your favorite John Mayer song. So I didn't, I never wanted to go through that awkward experience. So I would study John Mayer, for example. <laughs> And like, instead of yeah. listening to Shakira, like I would listen to John Mayer so that I, I had a response. Right. Like I knew where I he was coming to concert. I knew all of that shit. I got caught with a Dave Matthews band. I'm gonna be honest. I had no idea what that was. I had no clue. <laughs> I like totally got caught. I think someone asked me and I was like, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I thought you said Dave something else band. I, I like totally, but I definitely did. Um, and I think it took life experience and a whole series of things like Obama getting elected and all of this storytelling and policymaking that made me feel comfortable in my skin to show up to work and to life every day. Yeah. But Wait, I do admire a lot of Gen Z. I'll say that because yeah, I feel Gen those Z kids does. does it. I mean, they don't pretend to like anything. I mean, I, I love that about them. Um, they give no fucks. And yeah, like, they don't care. I know. I know. I, I admire them for that reason. Um, and I can't wait to see what they do, right? Um, when they get to like all these rooms and stuff. But yeah, so that I definitely um, went through that phase. Oh, so, God. So, for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, so so there you are in college, right? And you're going yeah. through the the natural biological emotions of wanting to fit in. We all oh, do. Yeah. Who doesn't, oh, yeah. right? And in that moment, like you try, you know, you, you try to assimilate, you try to fit in, which everyone does. I'm curious when you got into corporate, did you yeah. try to do the same thing? I didn't. I'm going to be honest. I didn't. 
I don't know why. I think it's because I entered the workforce a little later than most people, um, which is because, you know, I'm, I'm from that immigrant background. So all, you know, your parents just want you to be doctors or lawyers, right? So you're, you're not anything unless you're a doctor or a lawyer. They, I, I mean, my parents still don't know what I do at, you know, product marketing. They have no clue what that means. Um, <laughs> like, uh, that's great, Ika. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so I dropped out of med school, to be honest. And I think that time in med school, um, the kind, like the time where like, it allowed me to experience life and figure out who I was and what I wasn't, which is not a doctor clearly, um, and come out of it really knowing what I wanted and what I didn't want. So really knowing, I don't wanna be a doctor. Okay, I don't wanna be a doctor, so I'm gonna spend my time doing something I really wanna do, I think is how I kind of came out of it. And then figuring out, okay, this is what I want to do, and this is who I am. And if if these two things don't work out, I'm going to have to find somewhere else to be who I am. But I do think that I mean, dropping out of med school is a huge decision, and I think I vacillated over that for at least a year, and I still went through the motions of being a doctor, which is hard, by the way. It was like such a divergence from what you know, pleasing my parents, which is a lot of it, right? Pleasing my family being the Ika that you're supposed to be. And I think breaking from that gave me so much courage to do that in all aspects of my life. Um, what gave you the courage to step away from the shoulds and oof. just make that decision for yourself? I was really unhappy and, oh God, I mean, I, it was so funny. It, it went in waves, right? I broke up with my girlfriend who my family loved. My, fa my sister adored her. My sister thought that she was it and like, my older sister is kind of like my second mom. So I like went against her. And then like two weeks later, I can talk to my best friends from med school about it. I was like, I guys, I don't want to do this. Like, I, I really don't. I'm, I wanted to let you know first. And like, you know, we went out and had drinks and then they, bo they both looked at me and they were like, yeah, you know, we've been talking about it and it makes sense. You should go do what makes you happy. And honestly, for me, that meant, I had no idea what that meant. I mean, I ended up living in a hacker house for six months after that. Like, I really didn't know. Um, I did a kind of, yeah. I can't imagine <laughs> explaining what a hacker house was to your mom. Yeah, no, I didn't tell my parents that part. I just was like, yeah, I lived with a bunch of guys. I lived with like 12 guys, $1,000 bunk bed in SF, mission in 23rd, kind of, you know, not the safest. Um, and that's kind of how I got into tech. And that's where I am today is because of that decision. Um, but gosh, I'm stubborn. I'm going to say that. I think if I wasn't as stubborn as I am, I wouldn't be where I am. Um, yeah. So it was kind of like all or nothing. I think, you know what? I think in my head, it was like, wow, I've devoted 20, um, like six years of my life to making everyone else happy. And it hasn't worked. I'm going to devote the next 26 to making myself happy and see if I do better. It's speaking of making yourself happy. I think a big trend that's happening right now is five quick ways to get into tech. Here are cool yeah. jobs where mm -hmm. you can be yourself at work. And I think tech, as well as some of these iconic brands that we put on a pedestal, the dream that is sold to us is you can be your authentic self at these companies. Yeah. And you know, many times I don't think those dreams are realized, but I'm wondering, was that part of the 
intrigue in going into, you know, some of the roles that you went into versus medical field? Yeah, I mean, this was the icon era, right? Where Mark Zuckerberg could do no wrong. Like the social network had come out. You know, we idealized all these icons. Theranos was still a thing. I don't think she had been pivoted off her pedestal. Um, Elizabeth Holmes. This was very much a young entrepreneur energy. I feel like everyone was searching for the next unicorn. And I can't, I mean, of course I must've been intrigued. I grew up in the Bay. So everyone around me was either coding or like starting to code or had like decided, you know, a lot of my friends were like at Facebook or now Meta, Google, all these places. I mean, I didn't really know. I don't think I knew what I wanted. All I remember, I remember quite vividly watching Netflix, like binging a season of something and then being like, wow, this is accessible to so many people. Oh, all of these people on this home screen are not ethnic. I wonder if that's going to change. I wonder if we can change that. Is that something I can do? And then discovering YouTube and seeing all these YouTube creators. And then I was like, okay, so storytelling is definitely take, it's not, it's not the way it was. It's so much more immediate. It's so much faster. And then the influencer era happened like what, five years later. But before that, I was just thinking, okay, this is something that I like. Everyone likes it what's going to happen in this space. I don't know, but I think I want to be a part of it was what was going through my head. And I'm not a software engineer, but I definitely know how to code. I'll say that. But it was definitely a great conduit for me to aspire to something. I'll say that. So I was looking at the world around me. I happened to grow up in the Silicon Valley. I had access to these things, had friends working for different things that they enjoyed. And I think that definitely influenced where I went just because of the proximity to the city. But yeah, are you kidding? It was like a fervent energy. I mean, now it's still there, right? If you go, I'm, you're always going to hear some bro talk about his series A, series B funding. That's just part <laughs> of it, right? But, but, but I mean, it was, it was not to the extent of that, but of course it did. It definitely influenced me. I think being from the Bay definitely influenced my next decision. If I was from Oklahoma or Iowa, that would not have happened. I'm just being honest. (laughs) Like, like my wife's from Iowa. Very, very, you know, it's so different. Do you think that dream was realized and you being comfortable being your most authentic self at work? I still think that I have more, oh gosh, I have imposter syndrome. I'll say that I'm working on it. I think, I think a lot of things have improved that, but I still feel it. I think that's just, I'm just being honest. I think a lot of women and men both do but I do think it plagues women. I'm still working on it. I think, no, if I'm going to be honest, I still, I want to make more of an impact personally in my workplace or any workplace that I'm in and giving black and Latinx women more of a funnel into the company that I work for. Until I realize that, I don't think I've I've really realized it. It, you know, I, I think that's definitely a dream of mine. It's something that I, I bring up in so many of kind of the conferences I attend or the meetings that I get into, or, you know, I'm really involved in my Latinx Berg business employee resource group at Disney. And until then, no. I definitely want to get into the pay forward aspect, but you, and you bringing your most authentic self to work, right? There's, there's kind of like two parts of it, right? Like one, like each of us have to build up the courage and confidence to be ourselves, which 
it sounds like you are there. And then two, there's like, how is it received though how is by it received? other people? And then when it is received by other people, there's like that decision. Oh, you're shaking your head. How is it? How is it? How, how have you been received? I'm going to be honest. I have gotten so many. Oh my gosh. You're so brave. Um, DMs recently because of what's happening at Disney and I've been a leader in um, the don't say gay Disney do better Disney say gay Disney say trans movement um, and I've been very public about it I have hardly not had any sort of backlash from my leader from my leaders I'm being honest from my immediate leadership um, and I, I mean white straight white women love me if I'm being like if I'm being honest okay I have I've gotten some Karens but not a ton I've had the most hardship or most backlash from Latinx Gen Xers who are who who are very interested in my personal growth at the company of the Walt Disney Company. And they've been my biggest naysayers. And I'm going to talk about my parents. I think my parents have also made it really hard for me to be authentically myself. I think there's such a fear of being othered or making your life harder in some way by being authentically myself, which in my case includes being gay. They love my energy. <laughs> they love my, my true, you know, I'm can do attitude, very positive type of person gets things done. But, but there's something about my intersectionality, which makes them afraid and has made it very hard for them to accept that aspect. They love the fact that I'm Latina. They love the fact that I'm where I am. But there's something about that group. I've had a lot of heart to hearts with older Latina women and older Latino men. And they've and they're very concerned with how I'm acting on social media and on the Disney Slack. And that's a really hard thing to say. I'm I, like it, it is it's you know, it's heartbreaking. Why do you think they have such a hard time sort of like understanding where you're coming from? And just me, outsider's perspective. Yeah maybe it's because they were fearful to do it themselves at one point because of the retaliation and to see someone maybe they see even themselves in you when they were younger and they're like I wish I would have done that but at the same time like I was fearful I would get fired so to see someone so quote-unquote brave maybe it just yeah. makes them uncomfortable why do you think it is you know I've I've, I've really thought about it I think that, yes, I think there's a culture of fear. I think there's a fear that's embedded in every single immigrant that comes to this to this country of not ruffling feathers. I mean, Trump, I think, instilled so much fear in so many people so quickly. Yeah. I think they're kind of still, we're still kind of on the backlash of that. Um, I think I, I anger them. I, I think it's fear and I think they're angry with me. I think that, you know, I... I, I think it was kind of like a parent. If I'm being honest, some of these conversations were very much like me talking to like my older relatives, where it's clear that, you know, these mentors, these advisors, these people who have gone farther than I have in their career, we're talking executive directors, you know, a VP or two. And they want me to do the same thing, right? They want me to get there. And they're really upset with me that I potentially upset that track by speaking out. And they like, don't understand why I had to do that. Like, why did you have to do that? Right? Like kind of like a child misbehaving or, um, 
you know, you tell them not to do something and they still do it. That's kind of the tone of these conversations. And um, you, I, they're very frustrated with me. I'll say that right now. It, they're still very frustrated with me. Um, but I think it's from caring. I've like, you know, I've talked about it with my wife and stuff. They wouldn't be as frustrated with me if they didn't care. So they care about my career. They care about my opportunity for growth. Um, I think they're really afraid of me getting fired. Um, and, you know, I'm sure they'll have something to say about this podcast when it comes out. I'm sure they will tell me, oh, you had to do that, huh? You know, like, <laughs> and I did. Yeah. I, you know, I, I did. Um, but that's the biggest backlash I'm getting is from um, Latinos. You know what's fascinating? And this is a very similar situation that happened to me. And I'm getting chills thinking about it. So, you know, it's, inter it's interesting too, like when you spoke about the power of storytelling when you are watching Netflix, right? Yeah. And I've always admired these like large corporations, their ability to tell people's stories, right? With the audience and the community that they've built. And it wasn't until me on LinkedIn publicly posting my salary transparently on Latino Equal Pay Day, when I understood the power of my voice yeah. and the power of our ability to tell our own stories, right? And it's crazy because, I, long story short, I posted my, my, my salary publicly on LinkedIn with, with the end thing saying like, <clears throat> the reason why there's a gap when it comes to compensation packages is because there's a fear of us being fired and sharing our salaries. And the only reason why companies want us to not be transparent is because we're not getting paid equally, right? And like the amount of outpour and support and like positive DMs was like overwhelming. I'm talking right. to everybody in the DMs, right? But there's this executive that will go unnamed who shared similar feedback to that, to you. Oh, yeah. She said, why couldn't we have handled this internally, right? It was, it was essentially that. And long story short, what I explained, I was like, this is bigger than any one company than me or you, this, right? This, this is, is bigger, bigger than me or you. This is bigger than the company that we both work at. This literally impacts women globally, not even just in the US. Yeah. And I don't know, I, till this day, I don't know why she couldn't take off her executive hat and put on her Latina hat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is that, did you get happens. similar stuff yeah. to you? It was like, why couldn't oh, you yeah. handle this internally? Yeah, why, why? Why do you have to be public with it? Why, why, why are you causing such a ruckus? Yeah. Right? Is this yeah. about you? Is and no, this isn't about me. <laughs> this exactly. Is about, exactly. There are things greater than me, right? Mm -hmm. Your job transparency, my pushing for you know a, a multimedia titan of a company to put their money where their mouth is and to be accountable for funding hatred. That is bigger than me, right? Like think there are things that are greater than a single human being. And, you know, I, I feel like there's been this public bash, backlash since Black Lives Matter. And that's kind of where I realized how important my voice was <laughs> during Black Lives Matter, if I'm being honest. 
And I, and I think that journey to find my voice still continues and it will continue as long as I'm alive, right? Because if you have a voice, which everyone does, and you are courageous enough to stand up for what you believe in and whatever that may be, and there's going to be a number of things to believe in, I imagine, in the future, you can make a difference. End of story. Like if, and that can take shape in so many ways. Um, but it is very sad, I'll say that, that some of your greatest mentors or advisors sometimes do not agree with what you're doing. And, you know, for, you know, I'm just kidding. for gay people, a lot of it has to do with mental health and the struggles that you went through with your own parents or your family. And there's definitely some PTSD that you get from other adults or mentors or people that you admire having opinions about you. And so for, <laughs> that definitely happened to me. I think it put me right in that same same space of trauma that I had when I first came out when I was 22. Um, and, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking and heart-wrenching, but it's not as heart-wrenching as other people, you know, in Texas or Florida. And I kind of like remind myself of that a lot, at least recently. Yeah, and let's get into what is hashtag Disney do better. And yeah. tell me about why you decided to quote unquote, not keep it internal and actually <laughs> go public with some of your yeah. experience and your thoughts. All right, so hashtag Disney do better, hashtag Disney say gay, hashtag Disney say trans is a result of Disney, the Walt Disney Company, funding some legislation, specifically the don't say gay bill, which is, you know, gone viral in Florida, which got passed by the House and the Senate and will be signed into law by Governor DeSantis, basically saying, and this is where it gets real tricky, kids from kindergarten to third grade can't learn about sex. Okay, that, that makes sense, right? Why would you teach a kid about sex? But then it gets kind of a little, a little granular. Okay, so they're not gonna talk about sex and they're not gonna talk about gender identity. They're not gonna talk about pronouns. If they have two parents, they can't talk about two gay moms and two gay dads. It gets really, really tricky when you think about it that way. And I've gotten some hate internally, you know, within Disney and outside of Disney about, you know, why are you up in my business about how I raise my kids? Why are you posting this? You know, you have no say, are you a parent? You know, I'm not a parent, but I think there is danger in all of those things, you know? Why I, I personally have an issue with Disney is because, you know, for the past year, nine months that I've worked here and interned, you know, as an MBA, a year, they've been talking about DEI and pillars. They've been talking about reimagine tomorrow, reimagine a better tomorrow. You know, we believe in storytelling and everything is, you know, wonderful. There's inclusion for everyone. We work together across all these brands and we're amplifying everyone's stories mm -hmm. to inspire a more inclusive world, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're funding this kind of legislation in Florida. Feels performative. Right, it's a platitude. Right, it's something to check all the boxes. I'm gonna say that. When in reality, they're funding this don't say gay bill, which I'm just gonna say it, it creates bubbles and danger for children, for mental health. They were very nebulous in terms of the language from fourth through 12th grade in which what would happen between those ages if someone were to come out, if someone wanted to use certain pronouns, and this is all public schools, 
And basically it gives the parents, right? Which, you know, there's a number, everyone's parents are different, but it really kind of isolates a child if they were to identify as gay or queer. Just gonna say it. I had no idea what gay was from kindergarten through third grade. I'm gonna tell you. I still kind of was afraid of, you know, that that certain feel, you know, my mom always told me like that he's a little effeminate. You gotta be, I, if I could go back in time and change my attitude towards my wonderful uncle who was nothing but kind to me, I would. And now I just wanna say we're, we're better now. We know better now. Everyone knows better. I, you know, it, it's, we're, in a, we're a more educated society. We have the internet. There's so many more things that we know about all kinds of people. I think the Don't Say Gay Bill is a backlash to all of the progress that we've made. Um, and the, the progress that the next generation of kids has made, right? Because when you look behind all of the surface of what this is, it's a bunch of politicians really confused as to why all these kids are being queer. Why is everybody coming out? Why is gender an experience now? Why are, why is everyone trying out all these things? Okay, oh my gosh, I'm scared. I don't understand. I'm gonna stop it from the very beginning. And now kindergarten through third graders won't even get a chance, right? And, you know, then we have Texas. They donated in Texas. San Antonio is actually a workplace for a number of Disney employees. Um, the anti-trans bill, right? It's sexual abuse, parents of children who are thinking about going on hormones or gender identity changes, they could be charged for sexual abuse and sent to federal prison. Disney was a, was a donator to both of these bills. I, I am, a number of things have been said about it. I'm just gonna be honest, I don't think Disney donates money without knowing what they're donating it to. I think that's very naive. Um, and because of all that, and the platitudes that we were given and a lot of, surface talk um, and a lack of accountability, me and my friends started a petition and wrote an open letter and we got 2000 signatures and we sent that letter to Disney's leadership. And, you know, since then there are so many letters. Pixar has a letter, um, Marvel has a letter. Um, the Walt Disney Company has a letter. The Disney Parks has a letter. A lot, you know, everyone has a letter and there's petitions and, you know, we're organizing walkouts and things are happening, but that was why. I think I was very frustrated and I, you know, I got pissed. Thank you for sharing that experience. Yeah. And as I'm listening to it, I'm just thinking of like the anxieties and fears <laughs> that I would have if I was you. I mean, going back to my experience, <laughs> there's probably way too much information for anybody listening. <laughs> But when I shared my salary transparently, like I had so much anxiety that I didn't poop for a week. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Oh, like, I know. And, and I think two things could be true, right? Like you could be courageous and bold and, and also be scared. Like what, okay. are the, what are some of the emotions that are going through your body and your mind just as this experience is going and growing, really? Yeah, it's growing. I mean, I mean so many media outlets have gotten it. So thank you. Yeah, it's... What are the experiences? Anxiety. You know, I just bought a townhouse with my wife. Anxiety about a job, right? And it's <laughs> so a lot of anxiety. I was tired and exhausted. I'll, I'll say that too. You know, the initial zeal, I think the initial energy to write and organize, or it was, it was also a 
it also always starts out with a really small group of people. And then once you get momentum, it's more and more people. So in the beginning, it was really fast and furious. I'll say that. And then you kind of, you know, you kind of step back and see everything that's happening. And that's when the anxiety kicks in. And you're like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Am I going to lose my job? Okay, everyone's telling me I'm going to lose my job. Is it okay if I lose my job? You know, yeah. I was asking myself these questions. And then I decided, yeah, you know what? If I get fired with this, I'm okay with it. And I asked my wife the same thing. I said, you know, hey, pal, <laughs> so I'm doing all this. I, I showed her the petition, showed her my little letter. <laughs> I just showed her like, you know, it's all on Google Docs. And she looked at me and she's like, yeah, it's okay. We'll yeah. figure it out. And I think, I think that made, you know, all the fiscal things go away. Um, that's the, the, yeah. That's the biggest, that's the biggest thing I had to let go in order for me to truly be authentic and unapologetic was the fear of getting fired. I was like, you have to let that go. I agree. Yeah. And it, and it's not saying like, I want to get fired. It's just saying, <laughs> no, <I don't. laughs> yeah, yeah. no one wants to get fired. Right. Like, yeah and and I, I, and I think speaking of duality I think it's also important to say like you could like your job and like where you work but also push back on certain policies right like no place is going to be perfect yeah. you know going back to the thing is like yeah I don't want to get fired but if I do I'm I'm comfortable in that and I'm and like letting go of that fear enables you to be a little bit more apologetic so that that's what happened to me too yeah I I think having that conversation with my wife, which was honestly like what, two or three minutes, it wasn't even that long. It wasn't that like, it's like, okay, I'm going to lean into this then. Okay. I'm going to keep on going. Right. What are the next steps? What else? What, like what's next? And, you know, gave me the courage to kind of to talk to you or to continue working on like the next steps or what I want from Disney or want to see happen. Um, and having like a public Zoom background in all of my meetings, like this isn't just for us. Like I have this on all day, every day since the second, March 2nd. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not pretending <laughs> like, like uh, this, this is, this is it for me. Um, if I, uh, fall off a cliff on, on my, what, what is it? Soapbox. I'm okay with it. You know, I, I that's, that's the truth. That's a powerful message. And I think just the visual of you standing on a soapbox to me represents you in some ways, however tall that soapbox is, it's easier for people to see you on that soapbox. And I think from you being so visible, what you're doing, going back to like some of our earlier points, like you're that representation that is gonna give someone else permission to be themselves, to stand up for themselves, to speak up. So, I applaud what you're doing. I applaud the courage. And to wrap up with this final question, what encourages you to keep going, to keep being yourself? You know, in some really bizarre way, my mom, which is bizarre, right? Because my mom actually didn't go to my wedding. She was very much on her pedestal of like, you know, Christianity. But that woman worked her whole life to, to send me to, to college. You know, um, she was a single mom. I, you know, she's a different person from who I grew up with now, but she would be so proud of me. I think that she stood up for Latinx, I think, throughout her life. And 
you know, really tried to pay it forward in every aspect, which is where I think I get it from. And I'm still trying to make the mother I grew up with, who was proud of, you know, me getting good grades and like, I don't know, really, I, I was a strange kid. But like, you know, my art, <laughs> my unique <laughs> qualities. Um, and always telling me to stand up for what I believe in. I think I do it for her. And I think I do it for the little Ariana inside of me who is so afraid of being gay. I'm so afraid of like being found out in some way that I'm a faker or um, I don't deserve to be in the room. I think I do it for the little gay girl inside of me who was dying to be herself. Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Quintuetas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you and see you next week.